you know, you and I both live here in D.C. The language around here is what do you do? That's the first thing people ask you is what do you do? So you end up being defined by that. And when that defines you, you end up doing a lot more than what is necessary and you wear yourself out. Uh, we hear a lot on LinkedIn and the career spaces about burnout. That's where burnout comes from. If you're living on a trauma response versus living, you will burn out sooner or later. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. Today we are joined by special guest Jamal Marshall, who is the uh, founder and host of Listen Then Speak. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop right there because I'm gonna listen and and see what Jamal has to talk about. <laughs> No problem at all. I'll jump right in. So everybody, I'm the founder and host of Listen This Speak, and it's also a Listen This Speak podcast. Um, and so I love you. I'm a counselor. Uh, I know during 2020, uh, it seemed to hatch coaches everywhere. I've been doing this since 2013. I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. So I work with professionals to get them to establish boundaries um, that actually help them reach their full potential. And that also helps them reach their full potential by saving time and or revenue uh, because they're not putting out every fire. And so the thinkers, the people pleasers, the procrastinators, those are the, the clients that come into my DMs and say, oh, so this is what you do. And I take them through a process. I do counsel through the book, Hot Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, and also do a phase through a uh, phase two with James Clear's book, um, Atomic Habits. Uh, I love that book. And uh, most of my clients are willing to admit that there is trauma connected to wanting to put out every fire and also being in space, spaces and places that take up more of their time than is necessary. So um, uh, not only am I a counselor, I'm also a mental health advocate, but I don't do things on trend. I'm super rebellious. So I'll be talking about mental health long after Mental Health Awareness Month um, is over. Nick knows me well. I am a rebel with a cause. <laughs> yeah, and as you say, you're a wig snatcher sometimes too, right? You're not afraid oh, to snatch that wig. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's awesome, man. Um, you know, I've I've known you for a while. We we met on LinkedIn, um, and, and one of the things I really loved about your content is that you're a pretty uh, genuine guy, and and you talk about mental health um, from a leader's perspective. What, what's something important that a leader should know? And, and you touched on a little bit about not putting out every fire, right? I feel like sometimes people as leaders feel like they need to put out every fire. But what what's your take on that when somebody uh, has that feeling when you're working with somebody? A lot of times, you know, especially if it's a client, it, it's often a trauma response. I think many of us are not aware, especially as men of our own trauma and our own childhoods um, and how we receive things from our parents and how we view things from our parents and how we go about life. And so a lot of times our hard work or what is seen as, man, he's crushing it. It really is a trauma response. And that doesn't mean you don't work hard. That doesn't mean you don't see the Gary Feed stuff and get inspired by it. But it also means of what is your headspace and heart space look like while you're getting the work done and how are you treating people in the midst of getting the work done, but also how are you treating yourself? And so just to answer your question, Nick, that looks like actually taking some pauses <laughs> and that looks like 
taking some time to examine what is my motive for doing this? Because anytime we do something, anytime we take on a project, anytime we're starting a business, anytime we're involved in a career, there is a motive behind that. And a lot of times, I mean, you know, you and I both live here in D.C. The language around here is what do you do? That's the first thing people ask you is what do you do? So you end up being defined by that. And when that defines you, you end up doing a lot more than what is necessary and you wear yourself out. Uh, we hear a lot on LinkedIn and the career spaces about burnout. That's where burnout comes from. If you're living on a trauma response versus living, you will burn out sooner or later. Then answer your question. Yeah, I mean, that's perfect. And that, that, that's like a sound bite right there. I feel like <laughs> you're your trauma response. I'm like sitting there thinking when you're talking, I'm like, ah, I think that's going to be the clip right before the intro. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you know why you can't just be janitor. He's got to be Ronan janitor. It's, it's that, it's what do you do? It's that, it's that whole, you know, pressure's on right from the outset. He asks good questions. That's why I love hanging out with him. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. I was out in San Diego a few years ago and, uh, having been from the DC area myself, or at least co or relocated there for about a decade, I, I had a similar observation about the, what do you do thing? Yes. Yeah, somebody in San Diego, what do you do? It's like, yeah, I'm picking up wakeboarding. You know, I really like to paddleboard. And it's like, no, no, no like for a living. It's like, oh, well, we, we don't talk about that around here. I was like, oh, that's a, that's a different, different feeling <laughs> from being on the East coast for sure. So that's a, it's a keen observation. I mean, John, if you think about even Nick's brand, like Ronan Janitor, like where that come from, like that story never gets old to me. Uh, and in this area, it's very cutthroat. And so to actually step to somebody and say, yeah, I'm a janitor. And to see where that goes, that's taking a big risk around here. And I love it. I liken it to like a tennis player. When you see the ball waist height and you just smash it as hard as you can. It's like whether it goes out or in, I hit it. And so whether you hit or miss, sometimes you have to do that in this area. And when you're caring for your own headspace and your mental health, it is hit or miss based on who you're dealing with. Because a lot of times the people you're talking to are actually having a conversation based out, based out of their trauma response. And so you may not get them, but you're getting their representative, which is so often the case around here. Getting their representative, that's interesting. I like the way you frame that. I have a, I have a similar story about being a garbage man. I might have to start throwing that one around and, uh, and hitting that tennis ball. <laughs> but uh, I'll get some consulting on Nick on how to do that. Uh, I, I did have a question, Jamal. You mentioned uh, in your, your, your opening uh, soundbite, as Nick put it, um, being in a headspace and a heart space. Can you articulate a little bit on the, about the difference and the connection between headspace and heart space? Well, yeah, the headspace is, is oftentimes what we're doing. <laughs> the heart space is oftentimes how we feel. Um, and we don't tend to that, uh, especially as men and even as women. Uh, in the career space, uh, we're focused on just getting it done. And we don't think about what is the attitude that I have while I'm getting what I need to get done. And even in our own families, like, why am, why am I responding to this person this way? Is it something that I need from this person? Uh, if you think about many of us are, are active in different levels uh, on social media, people oftentimes take things personal because they haven't checked their expectations. They haven't checked their headspace and their heart space. Like, why didn't this person reply to my comment or my DM? It's like, maybe they don't have the time to, you know? Um, and why do I feel like I need to keep calling this person or... This person is a complete jerk. Why do I feel like I need to keep interacting with them? Because you have intended to your heart space that says you can leave that relationship alone and let that ship actually sink so that you can soar. And so it's very important that we take the time to slow down. Um, and it's difficult. You know, I know with my genre, especially being active on LinkedIn, everything's B2B sales, which is important. We want to drive net revenue so we can keep a roof over our head. But while we're doing that, 
You know, do you want to spend that time under that roof by yourself because you had a nasty divorce (laughs) or because you have no family and friends because you just did not take the time to slow down? Uh, And I I believe that's one of the most important things you can do. You can have all the money in the world, but at your funeral, no one's going to think, what was your net worth? Unless you're part of the inheritance committee. (laughs) (laughs) That might be your first thought. (laughs) Jamal, I, you know, I uh, appreciated something that you said earlier in terms of, you know, folks that uh, come to you as your clients, there tends to be some kind of underlying damage. And and maybe it's not something that's ever even risen to their conscious awareness. Can you talk a little bit about what your process is to help people heal, uh, you know, as, as you're helping to facilitate work with them? Good question, Brian. Yeah, part of the process starts as a consultation. Obviously, it'll either be through a Calendly appointment or through the DMs. Um, I, I believe, and Nick can speak to this more, you know, especially with mental health, most of your clients are going to come as lurkers. They may be people who either never interact with content <laughs> or, or never put a like or a comment, but they see it and they're like, you know what, he's talking about me. Uh, and so through the consultation, which is about 30 minutes to an hour, I'm asking questions to unearth is this the ideal client? Does this person actually even need what I offer? And then once that gels, once there's that marriage there, you know, the process is then 12 weeks, um, a 12 week extended or a one month intensive. A lot of times um, I don't discourage a one month intensive. You know, obviously you save money doing that way, but it's like I tell my clients, if you go too deep, too fast, you just might drown. <laughs> and so the process is, I liken it to uh, if anybody's ever seen a cartoon that most young kids, at least back when I was in my teens, would watch called Dragon Ball Z. It's like a soap opera. Every session informs the next session. And it's tailor made to that person and to their needs. And so uh, I'm dealing with a client right now uh, who is, you know, COVID changed a lot about their life. And they're wanting to, the, the potential they have, not just for creating content, but also affecting change is phenomenal. But they don't believe it, you know, getting them to the place where they believe it themselves um, and where they're not afraid to take risks. They, they grew up with a childhood that was basically fear based. Don't take risk, <laughs> you know, always hedge your bets, always play with safe and do what we want you to do. So breaking out of that mindset um, and it's changing the mind to also get the body to follow behind, because a lot of times you can do stuff. But if you're not mind ready, you'll go back to those habits of playing it safe. And it's so much that they've they've dealt with a huge fear of rejection because a lot of times anyone who's in a, a place of people pleasing, it's always a fear of rejection attached to that. And, and not just the talk therapy of affirming. Uh, you can affirm all you want to. That stuff does not work. <laughs> you have to actually begin to move in the space of taking a risk and you know what, even if I quote unquote get rejected uh, for this job author, you know, for this social situation, for this uh whatever I'm wanting to accomplish, I'm going to take the risk and do it anyway and, and, and just see what the results are. So a lot of times it's like, I call it the P word. I'm going to pilot life for a season and just see what happens. Risk that I've never taken before, but calculated risk. And so going through Covey's book um, and also Taylor making assignments that are directly correlated with who they are, it, it really helps unearth what's beneath the surface. Cause many times the, the Tony Robbins and the other motivational speakers, they'll deal with the surface stuff and they'll take six to $10,000 of your money. But then they just band-aided that. They haven't dealt with the root of it. When you deal with the root of what the trauma is there, the fruit will take care of itself. 
And so I love being a counselor, not a coach who's just asking you, oh, so how was your day and what are you doing? But like, why? (laughs) Why are you thinking that way? And where did that thought, where did that get rooted at? And then actually going to, to deal with that. It's more like being a doctor. The process is longer, but it's well worth it. awesome. Thank you for that. So we're recording this uh, right right before Memorial Day. So that, that brings up a, a thought for me um, as a veteran. Uh, we talk a lot about in the veteran community, um, you know, this idea of uh, PTSD. Um, but some folks have been trying to kind of change that narrative to post-traumatic growth. Um, and I think that's an important thing to distinguish um, veteran or non-veteran, you know, if you've had some sort of trauma in your life, it doesn't maybe necessarily mean that you're fundamentally broken or that you have some sort of a disorder. So, um, Jamal, with some of the stuff you were just talking to in, in response to Brian's question, can you maybe talk about some ways of um, how, how early trauma or early challenges in life can can actually make us stronger on the back end and how we can use those to maybe propel ourselves into greater levels of success? Is that something that you find with your clients or is that an, an approach that you ever take? No, I love that. It's, it's the funny thing is, it's, it's those traumatic instances and circumstances that happen that actually set us up for what we're destined to be. Um, I'm going to actually get a little preachy here, but you often heard it said, or if you haven't, you'll hear it here first, your misery becomes your ministry. And I don't mean ministry by you being some pastor, but ministry just means service. So the very thing that made you most miserable becomes a very pulpit or a stage that you're meant to serve from, because how can you help other people heal in an area that you haven't experienced trauma yourself? How can you, you know, it's like, this is how I did this, not this is how you can do this. You know, I can deal with people who have had trauma because I had my own childhood trauma, you know, long before uh, my dad became my best friend. He was my worst enemy. And so I know what it's like to deal with a fear of rejection. I know what it's like to actually feel like every other man on the planet has some X factor except you and that you have to be the person in the family that says yes to everybody just to make sure you keep the peace and don't kick up any dust or ruffle any feathers. I know what it's like to go through spiritually, mentally, socially, emotionally, psychology, the process of healing. I've done it. You know, it's proven. And so uh, for those who are having a post-traumatic stress disorder or response, it's like that very thing that made you the most miserable, that knocked you off your axis is actually the very thing that can access you towards who are the people, who is your tribe? You know, who are you meant to speak to? Who are you meant to take with you through the trenches? Um, And so for the, the, I know with with the military, because I have a family member very close to me who has dealt with trauma in the military, it, it can be a long road. And it's not something that happens, you know, at a motivational speech or by just cutting, you know, Les Brown on, on YouTube. You actually have to do the hard work. And I'm not down on Les Brown. Oh, he's amazing. Um, but I, I'm just saying, yeah, that my response to your question, hopefully if I've, I've answered it, is that I wouldn't have written my life in my childhood, the way it went. Uh, but when I look back, um, and it's just as a Christian, as a person of faith, I can see God's hand in that there are things and people that I would not care about unless it had gone the way it had gone. And it set me up actually to have a higher EQ, to actually be more of an empath um, and to pinpoint things that other people would naturally see. You know, I have a keen eye to see what others can't just because of what I've been through. Um, and it also helps me to lift a person out of that dark space because I've trudged through those dark waters myself. Does that make sense? It does. Thank you. So Jamal, you and I have talked about before too, about giving yourself grace, right? Um, and I know a lot of times we can be 
our own worst enemy. And I'm guilty of that myself too. You know, I did a jiu-jitsu competition a couple weeks ago, won my bracket, got first place, but I was still upset with myself because I could have done better. Like teammates are like, oh man, great, you won. I was like, yeah, that's like, I'm happy with the result, but I'm not as happy with my performance. So like, how do we go about allowing ourselves more grace, right? To, to allow us, you know, the opportunities to fail, like you were talking about earlier, to be okay with giving us sel- ourselves some slack? That's a tough one to answer in like the way, especially that's a really good Nick. Nick always knows. <laughs> that's a tough one to answer because if we give ourselves too much slack, then we end up stagnating and we end up complacent. Um, and so there's a fine line between giving ourselves the grace to move forward and actually taking the time to look back and celebrate. Like, let me celebrate that win. Um, I can tell you just a personal story. I think I was maybe 22, maybe 21. Um, and I was in my last year of college and I was taking statistics and I had to lock myself in my room because I'm not naturally a math whiz. I had gotten an A in it, but then I was offering my professor who was the head of the department to do an extra project. And it was time to graduate. She says, dude, you need to be getting your cap and gown. You already got the A. You're an overachiever. This is like nonsense, Jamal. She said, you you worked really hard. Take some time to celebrate yourself. And so I would say one way to give yourself grace is to celebrate those wins. And I I know people who have dealt with the trauma that I have, they don't celebrate because they don't feel like they're worthy. Um, And and they feel like I got to always be doing more. It's almost like liking it to the athlete who's like, they've gotten the, the grand slam. They've gotten the championship. They look at the ring and they're like, now I need another one, you know? And some of the best and the greatest in their genre, you think of the, the, the Kobe Bryant's, the, the Mike Jordan's, the Tom Brady's, the Serena's, the Tigers. Um, I can name a lot of baseball players. <laughs> that discontentment actually fuels them. Um, but they also know how to handle the losses, <laughs> you know, and they also know how to handle the failures. And so, uh, I'm, I'm trying to answer your question holistically. Um, be content enough to celebrate your wins um, and take the time to say, you know what? I may have not done like I wanted to do it, but I did it. And what can I learn from maybe not doing it the way I wanted to do it? You know, I think that's one of the greatest ways that we can give ourselves grace because you'll wear yourself out if you just keep going on that, you know, for you as, as a fighter. I don't, uh, it's always, people always say I train with the old man. That old man is still learning (laughs) so much about his craft, so much about his fighting style, so much about, you know, one of the fighting styles I love is Aikido. Say it takes years to learn how to become a master of Aikido and Kopo techniques, you know, and even some of the oldest in the business, they're still learning. And so I think to know that we never make it to that plateau that we envision. And that's why I think developing atomic habits is so important because when we get goals, it's like, oh, I did it. Okay, well, now what? And so Grace says, you know what? I'm still developing habits that actually help me to reach my fullest potential. And, and it could be that the fullest potential we reach is actually when we're laying six feet toes up <laughs> in the roof in the casket. It's like, I've done what I came to do. You know, if there will be an epithet, you know, maybe on my grave, but he did what he could, you know? <laughs> so. It's beautifully spoken. I love it. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, you've, you've got uh, an academic background, psychology, and uh, obviously much of what we're talking about is behavioral analysis, right? 
um, that, that seems to be, you know, core to, uh, you know, your own practice. I'd like to hear a little bit more about personally, what, what took you to that path? I mean, you've, you've referenced a couple of times now, uh, that you've gone through some dark waters yourself. Um, and I'm kind of curious, what, what was it that attracted you to that path of, of studying psychology and, and what it is it, uh, that has been meaningful in your own self-exploration? It was weird in my early young years, Brian. Um, it was kind of listening for those sound bites from other people in my life who I knew objectively didn't want to project anything on me. You know, sometimes if it's and I'm glad to have parents that didn't exactly steer me in what they wanted me to do. Um, but a lot of times people will project onto you what they think you should be, um, because I initially went to college for computer graphics and I just did. I could not stand the schedule. Like classes were like three hours apart. And I'm like, I'm tired of being on campus all day. And so I actually changed. I, I changed my major right away just because I didn't like the schedule. And so many people, even as a, a 14 to like 16 year old, they say, man, people seem to feel really comfortable around you talking to you. And you seem to be able to come up with practical and applicable solutions. I say, you ever thought about being a counselor? So people would say this to me as a teenager. And I was like, I've never really thought about that. (laughs) But when I started getting into, you know, uh, analysis and and psychology, I actually really liked it. Um, And as a person of faith, I I felt like, okay, I can actually take this a step further beyond what's written in academia and actually get far, way beneath the surface. Um, just because I think when you overanalyze a lot of times, you typically tend to create more problems that are not there. You know, they say, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And there are so many people now, you know, I started my career as a professional. Nick knows at the Federal Bureau of Prisons, the Department of Justice. There's so many inmates, even on psychotropic meds that should not be. It is very hard to wean from off of those things. So I initially, this was, it's, this is going to sound really silly and super rebellious. I was finishing my major because I wanted to go into the prisons as a DTS and actually get all these inmates off psychotropic meds. That's obviously illegal. <laughs> you know, you need to see a physician and wean from those things. And then I realized that I could make a practice, you know, out of what I was doing. But I wanted to help people so bad. And it wasn't until 2009 where I realized there was a lot of unresolved issues in me, a lot of hurt a lot of anger, a lot of unforgiveness, a lot of bitterness with my father, and even some, not so much with my mother, but I felt like I would be more developed as a male if she hadn't played two parts as both mom and dad. And so I was like, Jamal, in order to help other people, you actually got to sit with some difficult things yourself. There's a lot of counselors out here who halfway plumb crazy that haven't done the hard work or everybody claiming to be a coach. I'm like, yeah, you probably need some coaching yourself. So I knew that with the the roughness of you know my own childhood and my own trauma that I actually needed to go through the same paces that I would put a client through. It's like, if you haven't been through it, where's the authority to actually be in that space? Um, I believe it should go beyond marketing. Your brand should always be an extension of your life. Your business grows to the extent that you do. So uh, that's a kind of a long-winded answer as to how I got into what I'm doing. Um, I hope that answers your question though. No, that's beautiful. And, uh, you know, thank you for, for opening up and being vulnerable, uh, on our program as well. Yeah, you hail hostage to your secrets. So <laughs> <laughs> you've got some I awesome like one-liners crazy. in there. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I was, was going to call one out there that, that the business grows, uh, as much as you do. I, I really like the, the way you put that. Um, I wonder if we could step back to, 
a previous topic a little bit. Um, Nick started one of his questions with, you know, sometimes you're your own worst enemy. Um, and I've, I've been thinking about that phrase a lot recently, um, not to get into politics, but this is what made me think of it is that, you know, oftentimes that, that phrase is more literal than we mean it. You know, I'm my own worst enemy. I beat myself up even though I won the tournament, but sometimes we truly become that which we dislike in other people. Um, and maybe that's, that could be even, um, I become that person or that, that type of person that traumatized me earlier in my life. Right. So is there any way to overcome, is that making sense? I haven't fully, this is, I'm I'm thinking this out loud as, as I do it, but, um, you know, I, I think that folks who believe this thing always act like this. And then I'm, I'm acting exactly like that in my hatred towards them, perhaps, you know, maybe that that's the political example. Um, is there any, any way to coach ourselves out of that or, or to get into some good habits of, of not, not being our own worst enemy in your experience? You know, with your question about being your own worst enemy, um, a, a lot of times we are, you know, the person I contend with most is the one who stares back at me when I'm brushing my teeth in the morning. Um, and many times we do become a self-fulfilling prophecy of what we think. Uh, there's a scripture in Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the likeness of this world, but be transformed as your mind is renewed by truth. Now, I love a lot of people hearing this, you guys probably have a very broad audience. Like I have a very broad following. They say, well, what is truth? So truth may be subjective to that person. For me, truth is biblical truth. So I have to actually take the time and do the hard work and renew my mind with what is true and actually take a step back and put space in between myself and what is just cloudy. Um, you've probably heard from a practical standpoint of a social media detox. It is so important that we are detoxing um, from just what is cloudy. I live right here in D.C. and so everything is political now. But if you ever attended a political hearing like in Congress, you'll find out that what they put on Fox and CNN is bullcrap. None of that stuff. That's all a movie. They're giving you production. And you have a bunch of people who jump on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever like that, that think they know what they're talking about. That are they're, they're writing things that are mind-numbingly stupid. I'm like, that's not even half the story. And so it's so important that we do that digital detox, that soul detox, and say, why am I thinking this? And what makes this so true? And sometimes we do need the help of another to process uh, those things that we tell ourselves. You know, like I know for myself, telling myself that I don't have the X factor that this person does, so I can't take the risk that they take. Why am I telling myself that? That's a trauma response. You know, any anytime you if you think about uh, what scientists, what they do with like their variable group versus their control group, they're wanting to see, like, what is the response to this? And many times when we don't take risk or, or we hedge our bets, we're just responding in trauma. Um, and, and the things that we believe about ourselves, and oftentimes we do project that on other people. When we project it, we began to speak it. <laughs> uh, we say, oh, this guy is like this. You know, John's like this. Pat's like this. Jeremy's like this. It's like, well, no, that's actually how you are. And we've often even projected the very things we don't like about ourselves onto another person and put expectations on them that were never theirs to carry. You know, a lot of times, uh, especially even within family or, or it could be in, in, in social media, uh, we friend zone people far too fast, especially those of us that, that fear rejection. And then when that relationship is not there, you wonder why not? It's like that person wasn't your friend. They were just a fair weather online connection. You've attached an expectation to them that was not meant to be there. So 
So it's really not on them. It's on you to check what inside of you is expecting something from them. And it takes work. And a lot of times we can coach ourselves through that, but we may not have the accountability to actually deal with the core of that thing. Um, does that make sense to you, John? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that hit on a number of hit a number of nails with, with that hammer that that I've been kind of thinking along. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also in the in the coaching world a little bit. I'm I'm newer to it uh, than you, but I'll, I'll I'll hope to be true to it too. Um, if I'm if I can mess up your phrase there from earlier, but uh, you know, one of my favorite questions to to ask a client is, you know, how true is that? You know, whatever, whatever the thing was that, that we're going in, you know, this, that, the other thing happened, or this person hates me, or I'm bad at this. Well, how true is that? And there's usually a long pause. And then, well, I guess it's maybe not, not entirely true. And then you can, you can open a whole can of worms from there, but um, ask. And then, but to your earlier point about having to go through those dark places yourself, you know, you have to challenge yourself as the coach uh, that's, that's providing that guidance. Um, but I, I see my job as a coach and it sounds like maybe, maybe you relate to this a little bit is, is holding up that mirror to the client. Um, are you being your own worst enemy? Are you being the best version of yourself? Um, who do you see when you're brushing your teeth in the morning? And, and is that the right way to look at it? So um, that was, that was an awesome answer. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem, man. Yeah. I even have a, a client who used to be a content creator and they just stopped. I have them actually watching their own content. I'm like, just want to get them, in the field for like, remember when you actually believe that, you know, what, what was the Kairos moment or the cataclytic moment that actually challenged that belief? You know, what headspace were you in and journaling about that? I believe a good counselor, I mean, counselors are a little bit different from coaches, like good counselor gives good homework, you know, and to give them time to process between the session and the next session you have, and then actually take time to build off of that last session. That way there's a progression. You should always, with a client, see a progression, and it's uh, it should look more like a pacemaker. It shouldn't just look like this. If it looks like this, that's unrealistic. I'm not a social media marketer. I'm a counselor, <laughs> you know, but it should be a progression of them not being where they used to be. That's when you know the the process you're taking them through is working, and that they're actually putting in the work themselves because it's work on both sides. <laughs> I mean, it's like before he started working with me, he had already started doing some of the hard work, um, which is why he completely like ghosted most activity on, on social media. Um, I think for me to answer your question directly is, you know me well, I've, I came onto the platform as a rebel. Everything people were saying to do to provide value, I did the opposite. Everything people were saying politically that was very polarizing, I found a middle ground. And I think, I don't know if you guys know Peter Durand, he's amazing. Freaking love that guy. Um, he did a, po- a podcast recently. Um, I forgot what his guest name was, but it's like, there can almost be a consensus that there's no space for the man in the middle, that you have to be either on the left or the right, Democrat, Republican, so what, what have you, feminist, non-feminist, whatever it may be. And it's like, I'm living proof that you can actually go against the grain of that. And so I literally came on two years ago because I'm new to social media, making my own noise. When everyone was singing a soprano note, I came in with a tenor note and said, this is what I want to say. And people start listening. If you walk into a room with everyone hitting a soprano note, who are you going to hear most? Everyone hitting that note? Or the tenor. So that's how you stand out, you know. And and I think for him, you know, with, with the client I've been working with, um, and, and on this round, and some clients I've worked with in the past, um, some have been active on social media, some not at all, um, is actually getting them to, to take that t- time to rebel and to see the goodness in rebellion. Um, you know, you want to be a rebel with a cause. I, I'm not one who's contrarian. But it's funny, somebody wrote that on my post the other day. 
Um, they said this post almost seems contrarian, but I also see your heart and I hear the warmth in it because it was a written post. I do mostly videos so people can see me emote and hear the inflection in my voice. Um, but I just kind of released people. Like if you're coming on here, this is how you break up the noise. And so I, I kind of took it as a compliment to go contrary to the wave of how they say to do life or the wave of how they say to do social media, because social media is meant to keep you locked in. I even have a little thing on LinkedIn that says, oh, this is what's trending post about this. I never obey that. It's like, no, I want to post about what I want to post about when I want to post about it. And I so post everything off trend, which is why I only have 11 followers on Twitter. I'm getting buried on Twitter and I love it because I'm never going to do anything on trend in the way this world and society and social media says to do it. Because then I'm really becoming a part of the noise instead of making my own noise. And that's the conviction I have is to make the noise that God created me to make, not the noise that everyone says to make. That's awesome. I think one, uh, I certainly didn't come up with this, but I heard somewhere that, you know, social media, um, one of the downsides of it, at least maybe psychologically, is that it makes things that happen very far away and that are very disconnected from you feel like they're happening very close directly to you. Um, and I think, again, you know, politically, emotionally, psychologically, whatever, I think that fits in all those categories. Um, but but you made a comment earlier about uh, not going on trend and not, uh, you know, not even not necessarily even being a contrarian, but being being kind of in the middle. I it's a little bit different, but I was thinking, I believe it's Marcus Aurelius in, in his writings about stoicism so, said something along the lines of you always reserve the right to not have an opinion. Um, and I think that uh, social media, at least for me, um, and again, I'm not I'm trying not to be on it every day and, and getting too wrapped in, but um, I believe it drives people to to feel like they need to have an opinion because that thing that happened very far away that doesn't really relate to them feels like it's so close to them. Um, so I don't, I don't know if there's any response to that, but something I've been noodling on and something I try to avoid in my personal life is jumping in and having an opinion on every little thing. There's only, there's only so much time of the day and only so many things that I can care about productively. Um, so not every cause has to be my cause. Not every issue has to be my issue, that sort of thing. No, John, that's perfect. I mean, if you think about what we're talking about here and all of our, either whether we're, whether we have a career, whether we're an entrepreneur, whether we're a entrepreneur, that's those of us that have a career and <laughs> do a business, <laughs> you know, um, it is so important as we tend to our headspace and our heart space that we don't take up every issue as if it is our own. And you have a lot of people owning every issue. And so many times in that, I feel like your brand can get lost. Um, I wrote that uh, on someone's post. I forgot who it was this this week where she was just talking about talk about what you do. Talk about the problem you solve. Um, and, and it was really a, a blessing because and this is going to sound really gonna sound a little scathing. But there are some people who I deeply respect both on and offline. Um, and, you know, Nick knows a lot of us have each other's number. If I send you a text directly and ask how you're doing. That means I'm a little concerned about you. And there's just some people lately I've found instead of creating the content and whatever their brand is, they've become more of a male or female Karen. They just come on complaining about every single issue. And it's like, I don't even know what you do anymore because all you do every time when you show up is I can't say that five little word, but that's all you're doing for every post. And you're taking up causes or entering into things for the sake of just posting. You probably just need to sit in silence for a little while. Just take a chill pill. Go pray, meditate, take a walk, spend some time with your family, <laughs> you know. Um, and I don't want to end up being I, I'm sounding like a Karen now because I feel like I'm complaining. But it just when that becomes your brand, things get very convoluted um, instead of talking about the problem you solve. Or even if you're a career person, 
what is the brand of your association? You know, what are you here for? Are you here just to rant, um, you know, and to, to take up a cause that really isn't yours? Or, or are you here to make an impact? So I hope that is a good response to your. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the metaphor I've been thinking of is, uh, you know, there's only so much space on your metaphorical yard for the yard signs. There's only, only so much, only so much flag on the flagpole. Right. So I can't, I can't have all the call, you know, you drive through neighborhoods and it's 17 signs about every trending issue or whatever it might be. And, and they may all be very good, important issues to, to be supporting, but how much impact can you have when you're spreading your time and influence over 35 different things, right? So pick a thing, <laughs> get good at it, get involved. Um, and, and it's almost, to me, it's trying not to have that hubris that I can solve every problem or that I, that I can be an influence on, on every single thing. You, you just really can't. Um, John, that is so perfect. Cause then people get to know what you stand for. They get to know what you do versus, Oh, He's this week. He's going to be talking about guns. Next week, he's going to be talking about Will Smith. Next week, he's going to be talking about anti-pro-abortion. It's just like, well, what? Give me something, <laughs> you know. It, it just becomes confusing. With uh, I call them the digital Karens. It just it, it's team too much. So, I think it's fair to say that it's easier to come from a negative or destructive space than it is to come from a a positive, you know, creative space. Um, you know, you, you see it in the way that people tear, tear others down or tear an idea down or, you know, it's, it's just, it's often, um, that path of, you know, it's not even the path of least resistance. It's just an easy path. It's easy to be on the side of complaining about things. So, um, what are, what are some of the techniques that you use personally to help reframe if you find yourself getting into that kind of, uh, headspace that that isn't where you want to be. Great question, Brian. I'm just going to actually going to reach for it. I'm going to reach. I'm going to go off screen for a second here. Um, so I can actually just <laughs> gratitude journal. Um, and this is not just this is all just my journal completely anyway, but just taking time to get into the pages and, and write out what am I thankful for, you know? Um, and if you think about just the tragedy and the atrocities that have been happening lately, and I think a lot of folks are talking about Texas. Obviously, that's trending, but we just had Buffalo not just a week before and so many different things that are going on. Um, no one's even talking about Astroworld because it's not trending, but there's still people who are grieving from those losses. And so when there is tragedy, it does shock the system to say, man, I still have breath in my body. My family's okay. I still have a roof over my head. You know, I'd like for gas prices to be a lot lower and for food to be more accessible, but uh I haven't missed a meal. What am I grateful for? And what you write, I, I tell my clients this, what you write down, you have to reckon with. So I have to actually reckon with that thing I've written. And it makes me see how rich I really am. You know, I may not have Oprah Winfrey or Donald Trump's money, <laughs> but I don't need it. You know, if it's if it's for me to have it, then I'll have it. But I'm rich right now with what I have, you know. And so and then also being careful with what type of content I interact with, kind of going back to what Nick was talking about earlier. Um if I'm interacting with content that is super ranty, that's going to get into my system. Words of spirit, they are. And when that gets into my system, then I want to rant, you know. But if I can just lovingly, respectfully just scroll past it, and I find myself just doing that a lot these days. I'm like, okay, this person's ranting. Male Karen, female Karen, bye. I just don't have time for it. Because even if I agree with it, it's going to get into my system, and then I'm going to want to rant. And so 
I'm not saying there's not a place for not ranting and not complaining. I mean, even in the Bible, there's a whole book called Lamentations. Lamentations connoting what? Lament. This is my complaint. This is my issue with this. There is a space for that and there is grace for that. But when that becomes 90% of the whole of who you are, that's indicative of a bigger problem. And so I have to make it my business to be proactive of what am I engaging with? What am I letting into my eye gate and my ear gate? And check it when I'm in that space of ranting, because it's not like I don't do it. But when I am doing it, Jamal, one, what's your motive for doing this? And two, can you see the silver line and can you see gratitude even in the midst of what is hard and what is difficult? And going back to what John was saying, is this your problem to solve? Examining those things. So you referenced the Bible again, and I'm the son of a reverend. So I'll, I'll, uh, I want to ask you a question. Um, I think this, this fits in. I, I wrestle with this a lot myself, especially in the terms of, uh, of social media intake and, and just general things that I'm taking in. But um, I'm probably going to mess up the scripture and my dad will shame me for it later. But, uh, you know, there's a, uh, not really, but, uh, you know, there's, there's this idea from the Bible that it's not what goes into us that defiles us, but what comes out. Um, so how do we reckon, and I, I, I struggle with this as well as, you know, I, I recognize practically speaking that if I sit down and just go down the rage rabbit hole on social media or YouTube or whatever, um, that feels good. And there's all sorts of reasons why that's probably happening in my brain. Um, but how does that reckon with this idea that it's really what comes back out the other end um, that that's probably having a worse impact on ourselves or on the rest of the world? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I got to be careful with the way I engage this because I know you guys have a very broad audience. Um, I don't want to be crude, but in order for something to come out, something must first go in. We know that, you know, once you have your morning coffee, we won't go there. But <laughs> something has to be there in order for something to come out. And so, again, it is what comes out that does defile a man, but it's things, what's coming out is a seed that has been planted. It's a, you know, a lot of times the seeds that go in can turn into a beanstalk of fruit or a beanstalk of disaster. And so what we're taking in is going to affect what comes out of us. You know, I mean, Nick's got small children. I'm sure Brian's got got children or, or children that have grown. You know, you don't have to teach a, a two-year-old how to take a Mack truck and a little toy Mack truck and throw it at another two-year-old. There's already innate in the nature. <laughs> so I'm already going against the grain of people that say people are innately good. I'm like, I haven't seen that in human history, one. But two, little kids are the greatest parroters of information, yet the poorest interpreters. You don't have to teach them how to say the word damn <laughs> or hell. You're like, why did you say that? They heard it from you. <laughs> you know. So again, there are things that are going in through our eye gate, through our ear gate that we're taking in. And it's going to ruminate inside and then it can come out good. Or it can come out bad. I hope that answers your question. No, it did. And I, um, yeah, I don't, we don't have to turn this into a religious podcast by any means. I just, I, I like that there's certain, there's certain universal truths, as you put it earlier, that, that may, you know, we can debate truth, but, uh, but these themes that come up over and over again that, um, I think are often found in the Bible. So I'm, I'm always happy to pull a little snippet out and see what we can, we can talk about that maybe in, even in a more secular sense. So uh, don't feel like you need to tippy toe around it by any means. I think it's, it's always an interesting conversation and, and I like seeing how the, you know, the modern day psychology kind of matches up with some ancient wisdom, whether it's the Bible or, or whatever it might be. I think there's, there's interesting. Uh, oh, Nick knows me. I'm definitely game for that. I try to yeah. be very gentle <laughs> and gracious about it, but I don't uh, step back from that, especially in today's council culture that says, don't mm -hmm. say that. It's like, why should I not? 
do I have freedom of speech or not? <laughs> well, it's true. This is a program that is um, defiantly not tippy toeing uh, around most <laughs> topics, so, much much as you've expressed uh, about yourself, Jamal. Which I'll add, I don't, I don't feel like you were tiptoeing. That wasn't an accusation. I just, uh... all good. <laughs> no, we like, we like going in, in uh, broad conversations. That's why we, you know, we could, we paint the leadership in broad strokes, right? Because there's something, mm-hmm. and it kind of goes back to my mentality. I can learn something from anybody from any walk of life. Um, so it, it, you know, it, it's that ability to listen, to understand what somebody's saying to you, right? That ability to learn and take something out of a conversation. So, so I love hearing all that stuff. Nick, man, you know, that's what my podcast is based on. You know, um, I've had guests on that are atheist, agnostic, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, Christian. You know, I just happen to be a Christian that is a podcaster, but I'm not a Christian podcaster interviewing Christians, breathing Christian air, walking on Christian sidewalks with Christian shoestrings. I guess I could brand myself that way and maybe make a killing, but I'm just not convicted to do that. I'm learning more from people who walk, talk, look and act differently than I do than I would in a circle of people who just kind of are saying the same things. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense, right? Um, we, we always learn when we're, when we're willing to learn and we see it in politics now, right? Especially we live in DC. If one person on the other side has an idea, it's instantly a bad idea because they have different beliefs, right? Instead of, you know, like maybe there's some good stuff in there. And like just where someone sits on a position doesn't instantly make them bad or good, right? So I, I love that you bring all that stuff up. But they're wearing the, the wrong color jersey. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's a huge thing around here, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know it. Well, well you know, Brian, uh, those really Eagles looking. fans did throw batteries at Santa Claus, so, all you know. Right. Listen, guys. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to get into it. I just relocated back to Philadelphia. Don't be putting me back down, okay? I'm I'm enjoying my time back. We'll get you some batteries, John. In the future, man. That would would be fun. but on a more slightly more serious note, I think the uh, the interesting takeaway from that is that um, to go to your early references of, of Stephen Covey, of, of whom I'll, I'm also a big fan. If anybody's ever listened to an episode of this podcast with me, I don't think I've gotten out of one without mentioning his name. Um, but uh, the idea that from that book is, you know, when you have a disagreement, I forget the exact quote from the book. He he basically says, "Good, you see it differently." maybe there's a way to, to a third better way or, or to get to that interdependence that he talks about. So um, I think that's just wildly important and something that we're, it feels like we're losing um, in society, but I, I don't think we actually are. I think that goes back to the social media thing. I think, I think on social media, it feels like that's gone, but we can sit down and have, I have conversations like this all the time that are perfectly pleasant with people I disagree with. And we're still friends at the end of it, you know? Um, so for me, it's trying to stay on that focus that, okay, the world isn't as crazy as, as Twitter makes it out to be maybe, or I hope not anyway. Well, there's been a lot of money made in that entire category of what's qualified as grievance, uh, media, right? So sorry, Jamal didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I was just kind of ruminating on what John said. That's such a good point. Like I found that when I sit with people who, uh, are, are different from me, it, I don't, that this whole little that we've got to be a war for another that has not been my experience um and social media and i think the media period would have us think that there is democrat against republican black against white and it 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 i think the design of the elite is actually to pull us apart because we can do so much more together than we can apart 
Um, and if you're wrapped up in that world and, and that's what dominates your headspace, that is going to be what dominates your heart space and also what gets carried out in your will. And so I think you do have people who are moving farther apart than they have been together because they're not taking the time to realize, like, wait a minute, if I don't allow myself to be informed by what they want me to think, I can actually think for myself and I can actually make my own noise. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. You nailed it. I, I think you just identified what I perceive as the greatest conspiracy of all, right? There's all these crazy conspiracy theories these days. But to me, what you just said is exactly it. It's, uh, you know, it's easier to keep us divided than allow us to come together. And, and uh, you know, to John's point, when you actually have a genuine conversation with someone that you disagree with, you tend to find that there's a lot more common ground than there are critical differences on things. Although I do have to say, in respect to Jamal and the name of his podcast, I, I have found myself doing a lot more listening today than uh, I, I typically would do as a Jabberjaw on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm glad that that is the atmosphere I bring with me. That's that Ravi Rajani juice in my bones. I'm just playing. <laughs> That's actually the juice that God gave me. But, uh, I, I've enjoyed my time. You guys asked really, really good questions. And so hopefully uh, I provided value for your audience without a doubt this is awesome and so jamal in closing um if people are looking for you or or your podcast or anything where where could where's the easiest place for them to find you easiest place to find me is linkedin i'm the only jamal marshall on linkedin (laughs) that spells my name the way i spell it uh and also listen then speak.com uh, I'm not, I've shut down Instagram and Facebook, but also Listen and Speak does have a Facebook page. Uh, but I'm just trying to get really narrow focus and not trying to be everywhere. So come on over to the LinkedIn family. Come visit www.listenandspeak.com and also Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, any place that podcasts are distributed. Just type in Listen and Speak or the word Jamal Marshall and you'll see an orange face that looks like me pop right on up. So. <laughs> And we'll be sure to link that in the show notes for for all of our listeners. And if you're watching us on YouTube, we'll put it down in the video description. With that, Jamal, we appreciate your time. Uh, Thanks for for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. It's great. Thank you, Jamal. This is great.